Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman. Today, I'm joined by David Fernandez, Managing Director at Goldman Sachs over renewable power. David, thanks for joining. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me. I guess you spent much of your career in renewables, particularly in solar. This current decade, which we're just embarking on, has been characterized by some as the solar decade. Is that the case? And, and if so, why? Yes, uh, yes, Paul. Uh, indeed, uh, I do believe that that is the case. But before we get into solar, let me give a you know a little bit of uh, introduction into renewables. Um, I mean, it is clear that the world is going through a decarbonization process that could be accelerated by COPY. Uh, we don't know if COPY what what impact is going to have at this point. But as I said it could accelerate that decarbonization process. And that is why, to be honest, renewable deployment has been increasing worldwide in a massive way. Uh, among renewables, solar is well positioned to be the winner. I, I truly believe so. And I'll just give you, you know, some, some, some reasons that um, why, you know, I believe that uh, solar is well positioned. First of all, uh, there's very small variability in returns compared to other source, uh, renewable sources. Also, there's no moving parts or minimum moving parts. And this is important since uh, OPEX is having a bigger impact to LCOE, given that the CAPEX optimization over, over the last uh, decade or so has been tremendous. Um, another reason is that it's visually appealing. Um, to be honest, I mean, uh, people like to see solar on their roofs. Uh, there's even advances on you know, roof tiles with solar integrated in them. And also, it can be deployed anywhere. This is a really, really important fact as well. But Paul, if you allow me to, uh, I would like to, to to clarify some points about solar, uh, some myths, you know, that they're, they've been yeah, around. Uh, yeah. is, is that solar is not just for the Southern California where there's a lot of sun hours and sun is really strong. Solar power also works in cloudy places or places that, the solar resource is not is not as good. As an example, the biggest solar market uh, for a number of years was Germany. Also, there's been quite a bit of solar deployment in places like Ontario, Canada, and Massachusetts. And neither of those three places are known by you know having a lot of sun and the radiation being strong. As a matter of fact, solar modules really uh, they they like high radiation for sure, but also they like cooler temperatures. Um, the the temperature high temperatures uh, degrades the not degrades but makes the the cell the the the, the module not as efficient um, and also solar modules I enjoy having an, a snow around them on the ground uh, they boost the production for you know of those modules due to to the reflection especially with the new technology modules that we have out there in, in the market uh, I'm talking about bifacial modules so certainly we find a lot of solar deployment in you know places like Maine uh places like Colorado uh where they have cooler temperatures where they have the snow around them or places like Canada Germany uh UK where the solar radiation is 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 not as good as places like southern california mm. so you've got the argument of visually appealing perhaps less impactful than big wind farms throughout the landscape I think the most crucial things you pointed to there, and again, it was a surprise to me to hear that solar PV works better in you know Colorado than it does in, in you know the desert because of just temperatures. 
But the big things you mentioned there are there's no moving parts, a more um, predictable rate of return. Can you talk on both those things and how that then interplays into them as assets and, and particularly how that impacts the investor community? Yeah, so certainly, certainly. Um, so you know, it, it is it is true. I mean, you you hit it, uh, you hit it that that center. Um, wind. If we compare wind with solar, there is a lot more predictability in the cash flows in solar. First of all, we start with the resource. Wind resource. Uh, you know, you can have a year where you know the resource is thirty percent up, thirty percent down. So you can have that those swings. Where in solar is a fraction of those. Uh, of those swings from the resources standpoint, but also capex. Um, uh, I mean, but also opex. Uh, apologies. Um, and, um, from the opex perspective, uh, you don't have these huge devices on the ground that uh, you know that you can have. You have to have people at all times, and uh, and it's just you know there are things that break because there are a lot of moving parts. With solar, you have minimum amount of moving parts. The, the contracts that uh, the industry has to preventive and corrective maintenance, they're a lot more narrow than, uh, than, than wind uh, and other sources of energy. And therefore, is the predictability is there. And that is what the investor community wants. They don't want you know, swings. They don't want surprises uh, on a yearly basis. So that's why we, we think that solar has a, a leg in front of other renewable sources. And I guess... We'll come on to the the fact that no moving parts and and actually you can automate the repair of these facilities potentially down down in the future. Um, but before we get there, it has been, I guess, in my career at Human Capital, you, we've had kind of stops and starts on on solar. I guess all the conferences we've met at, there's been a there's been optimism around it, and um, the big challenge has always been, I guess, around pricing of the units themselves. What's going on there that I guess supports that idea of a solar decade? So you made a, a good point, right? We have had lumpiness within the marketplace uh, of, you know, just uh, not not also, you know, um, pricing and, and and feasibility of deployment and whatnot, but uh, but also the question of is solar going to be is solar going to compete with other renewable sources? Well, the reality we're now we're now here we're now here we're at that point in some parts of the world solar doesn't need subsidies. You know, with high radiation, uh, you have places in the world that solar is competing without subsidies with other sources of energy. So it is now proven we're at that point where solar can work. And uh, we have a path into the industry to further reduce the LCOE in places where maybe the solar resource is not as good to make it also a viable solution without subsidies. So we're now at that point, I think. And the LCOE? Yeah, the leverage cost of energy. Would uh, that electron that you flew through the grid, how much it's costing you versus, you know, other sources of energy? This is the year, um, I guess, we expect that solar overtakes wind on a global basis. That is correct. That is correct. In 2020, we're expecting to uh, to overpass uh, solar overpassing wind. I mean, solar has been the fastest renewable source uh, since th- uh, 2017, and it's expected that from 2017 to uh, 2023, more than double the capacity of solar is installed versus uh, the the next renewable source. So certainly the, the numbers there, um, you know, they look really good. Um, if we look in, in the States, uh, in 2010, 
uh, at the end of 2010, there was two and a half gigawatts of capacity installed. Fast forward nine years to at the end of 2019, that two and a half transferred into 76 um, gigawatts. So basically, that's a three, approximately 3,000% growth in the market. So it has been an incredible, remarkable uh, growth of, of solar in the U.S. and worldwide too. But it's, as I said, it's expected that uh, for the years to come, installing in the U.S. roughly about 20 gigawatts uh, for the next three to four years. That's about, in market size, uh, $30 billion of, uh, on, a, on a runway basis. So it's a very important market and, and something that we really have to consider. We're talking about solar, but what does that actually mean with regards to you know, the scale implementation? Are we talking utility scale? Are we talking solar on uh, rooftops or all of the above? Can, you know, what, what actually does the industry look like right now and, and what are the trends there? Yes. So that's a great uh, question, Paul. Let me first explain the three main segments that we look at. Um, those are the three segments are residential, middle market, and large utility scale. First of all, uh, middle market is not a widely spread market term. It's something that we came up with. And the reason is that a lot of people talk about CNI, DD, what is really distributed generation, what is CNI, what's... Um, you know, community solar fitting into that. So we just put this middle market term. And basically what the middle market is assets that uh, are not large utility and are not residential. They are typically interconnected to voltage below 69 kV. Uh, and they're between a few hundred kilowatts to 40, 50 megawatts um, of size. The size of the segments, I have to say that, uh, especially in the middle market and large utility, have changed over time. When I started in this industry, people talked about 10, uh, 10 megawatt project and that it was a large utility project and, and they were just a, a few in the world. Uh, nowadays, people talk about a gigawatt, two gigawatt, you know, solar arrays. So definitely the, the utility scale, uh, you know, the, the specific size for that segment has changed over time. But out of the three segments, you're asking a very good question. Which one is, is going to win? Or is there going to be one? Is it going to be all three of them? I think all three of them will play a big role in the industry. Uh, there will be residential uh, for sure. We're seeing cities in, in the U.S. where it's, it's mandatory to, to put uh, residential solar in new uh, homes and also um, you know, warehouses, new warehouses and whatnot. So residential will continue to, uh, to, to, to play a role in the market. There will be large-scale utility um, you know, plants for sure. But I think that middle market solar is positioned as the most attractive asset class. Just to, just to make sure that everybody, that you understand, um, the off-takers in the middle market are corporate off-takers, are muni, co-ops, schools, university government of takers, community solar. So all those, you know, are within what we call the mid-market. And the reasons why I think that they have, uh, uh, you know, an advantage over, over the other two segments, especially large utility, is, is the following. Um, the same way, uh, you know, that uh, <laughs> you, you, you will see um, the solar being, being deployed in, in the largest scale, um, which is going to happen, but it, there, there are going to be challenges to do that. So people are, don't want to play in solar. 
uh, they're going to see where the capital markets, they're going to see where they have the least amount of risks, right? Large, large utility uh, challenges are definitely something that investors are playing, uh, you know, paying really close look at. Uh, we have uh, grid dependency and a large scale uh, utility. So basically, there has to be cap, uh, you know, capacity in that line for, for the project to go. Um, they, they are getting you know, tougher, those utility scale projects are getting tougher to finance. Why? The permitting is, uh, is, is, is longer. There's a longer time for permitting and construction, which makes you know, quite a bit of you know, more risk, risky uh, kind of uh, asset class than, than, than you know, solar mid-market where the construction is faster and, uh, and it doesn't depend on as much on grid availability. But also from, from the, uh, you know, the, the new tariffs and the executive order that was just in place or announced to, uh, to prohibit certain equipment above 69 kV line, certain electrical equipment for certain countries, uh, fire risk that we'll, we've seen in California, um, the, the curtailment risk that has been, you know, quite uh, in everybody's mind, especially in California as well. And, you know, things like uh, node, uh, node risk, basis risk, the PPS are getting shorter. All this, at the end of the day, um, how they see, how the investor sees it is that it's more exposure uh, in the front end, but especially on the back end when the contracts, the PPAs run out. Um, we don't see that in the, uh, in the middle market as much. You're much more connected, I guess, to the, or, you know, you're closer to the edge, much more connected to the, to the end user. You don't face these massive, you know, it's, yeah, it's a much less risky proposition, you know, and as you say, the investor community is less willing to provide the, the financing to these huge utility scale projects. Exactly, exactly. But that's very well said. I mean, at the end of the day, you have a take or pay contract, you whatever you produce, you deliver, uh, and there's not that many uh, people in between that can affect, you know, your, your, uh, your revenue stack. So certainly, mm -hmm. that is that is huge and really important for the middle market. But there's another fact, Paul, and it is that, um, you know, the, the middle market can be deployed almost anywhere. And to me, if we think about, you know, how, if we think about a grid, efficiency in the grid, um, having a, a large facility in the middle of the desert and wheel all that power uh, to the load uh, pockets, to me, it's just inefficient versus having the generation close to the load. So you can, you know, in the middle market, as I said, anywhere from 400 kW or a couple hundred even kW to, to, you know, 40 or 50 megawatts. You can deploy it from, you know, homes on top of or roofs on top of buildings in Manhattan uh, to like airports, parking lots of uh, airports to parking lots of, uh, you know, offices, uh, building offices and, and, and every, everything else and small pieces of land. That to me mm. makes more sense because it's, that distributed generation will be better to hand better, you know, you will be able to handle it better and also it's more efficient. And I think that's fascinating because that's come up time and time again, just in, you know, the, the podcast so far is that you've got this disruption going on. And actually, it's a lot easier now because of the smaller scale for organizations to circumvent traditional established, you know, um, governmental entities or the dominant players, in this case, you know, large transmission lines, you know, uh, and just put stuff 
closer to to customers and you don't and actually that enables completely different types of entities to do that you know there's no it doesn't necessarily have to be established utility players that are participating in that middle market it could be anyone because as you say the technology itself is relatively simple um yes, for sure you know and uh, you know i guess you're 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 an investment bank and in doing it right that 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 becomes uh, a lot more of a of a liquid market and a transactional in t between two entities which you know it, it just becomes easier and you know less risks uh, also the, uh, the the cost to deploy that asset it becomes a lot you know, faster and a lot cheaper than it would be a, a larger uh, scale, you know, utility kind of asset, which you have to go through permittings, through, you know, a bunch of hoops, and at the end having a lot of different stakeholders but until that, that asset gets, uh, you know, uh, COD, commercial operation linked. So I really want to get on to sort of participants, you know, because you do have an entire array engaged at the moment, whether it's you know, around managing the risks from basis and nodal risk through to various investors, developers, et cetera, et cetera. Before mm -hmm. we get there, there's a couple of other, I, I guess, one of the big enablers of um, and connected industry to the solar decade is going to be storage, right? Batteries. Yes. Can you talk a little bit how that really does unlock the power of, of solar and, and kind of your comments there? Sure. Uh, certainly. So the uh, solar is is non-dispatchable energy. At the end of the day, you can dispatch, uh, you can produce solar energy when the sun is shining, right? But uh, but you, at uh, five o'clock in the morning, you're not gonna you know produce uh, solar energy, right? Um, and there's also uh, intermittent effects because of cloud coverage and whatnot. Uh, so you don't have a steady kind of like a perfect curve, production curve on a daily basis. So how do you how do we fix this how do we make renewable energy in particular solar a dispatchable energy right we make it only through battery storage so the battery storage is going to be the enable of creating you know all these uh, objectives that the states different states have of going renewables 100% renewables and whatnot there's no other way to do it without you know just the, the battery storage Battery storage has some challenges, uh, mainly on the price uh, point and from the investor's side of it, uh, the unclear model, financial model. How do we make money? Um, how, how is this, you know, uh, attribute or addition, additionality to, to the solar plant going to help me to make money? Is that going to be accretive, accretive to, uh, to my returns or not? So from the investor side of it, is, it has to be a little bit more clear how, do, how the investor makes money. Is that through capacity payments? Is that through the frequency regulation? Is that through you know, shifting uh, of, uh, of, the, of the generation from the certain times that you're going to get more revenue? So certainly that we, have, we have a lot to, to work on on that front, but also the, the price. Um, the price, the good news is that just last year, uh, there was a reduction in LCOE for the battery storage of 35%. There's been amazing uh, the, the work that has been done to reduce uh, LCOE for battery storage, and will continue to uh, you know to reduce. I'm a firm believer of that. And right now we're we're seeing the battery storage works, but in in no time is definitely going to work because of the price point is going to be where you know where it has to be. So we've got this variety of scale at which solar is being deployed. You've got this connection with 
batteries. It certainly sounds from this discussion that that kind of middle market has got tremendous growth opportunity. How do you think the participants currently engaged will fare? Do we expect to see, talk about batteries, do we expect to see Tesla turn up and start getting you know, a dominant share of the solar market? Like what, how do you think the competitive landscape out there will, I guess, drive the participants? Well, I mean, the participants, I think that the participants that we have right now, um, you know, in the, in the solar space, uh, you know, the energy companies, the regulated and unregulated, the, the commodity traders, the IPPs, bank, insurance companies, utilities, uh, and of course, the OEMs, right, the original equipment manufacturers, uh, all of those are going to have a role. In, in the next years, in in a greater or lesser, um, you know, the kind of uh, level, but everybody, I believe that everybody's going to have a role in the market. I, I'm not sure about a winner um, or a loser. What I can tell you is that the winner, in my mind, has to be a company that first understands that the energy transition won't happen without digitalization transformation. I believe that we're going to be, all of us, you, myself, everybody's going to be a consumer and a generator of electrons through the electrification of the transportation sector. You're going to charge your, your vehicle in your house and you're going to go to work and you're going to probably sell some energy because the power prices at that very moment are high. And you're going to be able to do energy arbitrage at a micro level. So all that, I mean, how is it going to affect the, the install generation or any generation that you would install? Well, through machine learning, I think um, remote monitoring, remote plant management and dispatchability of, of energy sources will be the key to champion the energy transition. Whoever understands that is, is going to have a, a leg in front of everybody. And let me explain those three, three because, uh, factors because they're, they're critical. Machine learning. So anticipating new behaviors and adapting quickly, um, making sure that you have the data that supports, you know, how the, this, this new way of consuming and producing energy uh, at a micro and a macro level happens to be able to adapt quickly. And that is through data and be able to, to, to understand this, this, need, this, this shift that is happening in, in the energy uh, or this transition in the, in, in the energy uh, you know, world. The remote manage, uh, management. Well, we, I talked to you about the difference between middle market. Uh, another big difference between middle market and utility, large utility scale, is the middle market typically that they're not people. There's not man sites, how we call it. We don't have people on site be able to attend you know, any type of issues that may happen and restart the, the site if it comes offline. offline. Um, and the utility, you do have people. You have an O&M building and people react quickly. What we needs to happen is that we, are, we as asset owners can remote, remotely restart uh, you know, the, the solar plant, the solar array, be able to do things to the inverter, which is the main electrical component in the site that you know, transforms uh, the, the DC to AC so it can be transported. They'd be able to get into the engine of the inverter and do tweaks uh, from summer to winter and whatnot to optimize the plant. And, and, and also drive the cost of the OPEX, drive, drive it down because you don't have to have people and drive it to the site and spend all that, that money that is just inefficient in the, in the OPEX uh, kind of a bucket. Also, dispatchability of renewables. 
And this goes back to my, you know, my, my previous point. This patchability is batteries, making sure that we, we change a renewable source into a dispatchable source. And that has to be through batteries. So if, if a, a stakeholder in the marketplace thinks about these three things, I think that is going to capture or is, cap, is going to capitalize you know, quite a bit of wins in the marketplace. Fascinating. And I think that's also, there's so much, I guess, you know, one of the other enablers that needs to happen in some extent is going to be, I guess, investment in the energy grid, you know, at this scale and level as well. There's a significant amount of, I assume, risk management that's going to be needed by organizations as well from a pricing standpoint, you know, as we go through this transition. No doubt. I mean, right now, the risk management is in everybody's kind of uh, head uh, at the moment. I mean, there's the, the, the right now we're, we're in a world where the PPAs are getting shorter and shorter. Um, there's the, 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 the regulated markets, um, you know, they're trade, trading, uh, you know, hedges uh, in, in, in solar, uh, short term view on, on racks. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, we, you know, if you think about it, the common risk is that we're moving into a world where we have certainty uh, in the beginning in the beginning years. Um, if we talk about Rex, it could be only three years. People don't sign contracts for more than three years. But what is it going to happen on year four, five, and and so on? Especially in in an asset class where we continue increasing the longevity of those of these assets through better designs. To better technology, we're moving into 35, 45 year investment uh, vehicle. And you're only covering or have certainty for the first three. Um, that is just a, you know, quite a bit of risk. Um, mm. So I, I completely agree with you that uh, there's risk management is something that, uh, you know, people should be, should be aware of when they get into the market. And an opportunity as well for those, I guess, the commodity traders you mentioned earlier on. One big element of renewables in general, and certainly the solar markets, has been governmental support um, and also governmental um, you know, hindrance so in the form of taxes and tariffs. I'm just talking generically around the world. Um, how much do you think that will play a part in the solar decade, or have we, is it coming anyway and we've, we've essentially moved beyond that? Let me say first that Solar energy is in our lives and is in our lives to stay. You know, today solar is competitive, as I said before. Um, solar is competitive without subsidies in some areas of the planet. Um, subsidies, tariffs, executive orders, and whatnot will speed up or slow down or slow down solar penetration in the world, but it won't stop it. When you look back ten years ago, twenty ten, to compare to twenty twenty. In, in layman's terms, how much more efficient, more effective has the photovoltaic cell become? And, and what can we expect in the next 10 years? That's a great question. Also, when I, when I started in, in, this, in the solar industry specifically, um, we, we were talking about efficiencies um, of 6 7% uh, at, the, at the module level. Um, right now, we're you know, uh, on the low twenties with some technologies uh, higher than that, but uh, but but cer- certainly has been uh, an an incredible uh, move on the, in the efficiency ladder. Also, they are efficiency is is one portion of it, but uh, but the other portion is the cost, uh, which the modules they have decreased the cost. You know, uh, incredible. At the end of the day, 
people talk about, you know, how efficient is this module? Uh, how efficient is that module? And, and they try to sell um, the modules on, on efficiency level. But the reality is, I don't care about efficiency. I just care, I just care about LCOE. What is the price of that electron um, that you know, it's going to cost me? I, I might have to put more modules on a site because the modules are not efficient. But, uh, but you know, uh, but, but certainly we sell kilowatt hours. We don't sell efficiency, right, as an asset owner. But you're right. Efficiency, is, it is important. Why? Because in some places where the land is pricey, it's, it's, it's expensive, you want to make sure you condense the, the most amount of kilowatt hours into a, a smaller piece of land. So it does have an impact. But as I said, always let's talk about LCOEs. LCOE. And on the price side of it, uh, modules used to cost prior to 2010, I uh, used to pay, you know, $4.50, where today you can buy modules uh, outside of the United States for 20 cents. So certainly the, the, the OEMs, the module manufacturers have done an incredible work, not just in the efficiency level, but also reduce the, the price of those modules uh, to, to what we have today. Now, what do we have from now? What, what, what is going to happen from now on? Are we stuck in the 20% or 20-ish percent efficiency? I don't think so. There are a lot of companies today that they're looking into devices to increase that, um, that efficiency of the modules um, outside of the module itself. Um, as I told you before, temperature uh, affects the module, the efficiency of the module. So the cell could be very efficient, but then... You know, if it's high temperature in, in the Imperial Valley down in Southern California, then the, the, the cell is, gonna, is not going to be as efficient. So they're, they're studying, there are a lot of companies out there with quite a bit of capital behind them to study in devices to increase that efficiency. That's going to be a game changer. Uh, mm -hmm. There are some people, believe it or not, you know, you could uh, have different perspective, but there are people talking about 60% uh, boost the efficiency of the modules to 60%. Imagine if we go from 20 to 60%, we can retrofit all of those 76 uh, gigawatts of installed capacity out there, and we, uh, we increase them massively um, that nobody had in their, in their financial models. That's going to be a game changer. Yeah. Is the solar decade, a, is it global, or are we just talking for developed nations? No, it, it is global. It is global. Um, I, I really believe that it's, it's global uh, because of you know several reasons, and it probably will take um, you know another hour or so to to explain that. But uh, you know, solar has to get to a point. Um, you know, if we talk to the consumer and end consumer, let's say you know you as a as a homeowner, it has to get to where you go to a store and you buy a, you know your module kit and you just install it really quickly and move on right uh, you can and, and if, if you get to that point uh which we're we're there uh you could actually deploy you know solar in the middle of uh tibet um and have uh, your your house uh isolated from the grid being powered by by solar right uh with batteries so the, the solar is, is a worldwide movement uh we're seeing we're seeing a huge um uh, demand of solar in in Europe um, in the recent uh, years. Just Spain came out uh, last year with a with a solar carve out mandate for the next ten years. Uh, very aggressive. We're seeing 
you know, uh, the UK and, and the Northern European countries kind of following that. Eastern Europe, uh, the same way. Uh, Asia, uh, in Japan, China, of course, the biggest market out there. Uh, so do you see solar being deployed everywhere? Um, and I think it's, it's just going to be the solar decade for in a worldwide basis. Well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, typically, we meet around this time at the, the SPI conference in, in Vegas. Um, but you know, given a global pandemic, that's uh, certainly not happening, um, at least my side. So I'll, I'll miss seeing you at that. Um, yeah, thank, thank you, Paul. Thank you for, for uh, having me. It's, it's been a, a great pleasure. Uh, and, uh, you know, definitely uh, we, we have to, uh, you know, take a rain check and uh, see each other soon. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks again. It has been an absolutely fascinating discussion. Um, you know, it is a, I think this, it plays into the, a number of, you know, I guess the, the theme that it really is of 2020 as regards the energy world, which is one of transition. And uh, once again, those words of digitization, automation, data, you know, are behind those organizations that are going to be at the forefront of the, of that transition. So it was fascinating to get your insights and, and thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the HC Insider podcast. To find out more about HC, go to hcinsider.global, where there's more news and content focused on the commodities markets.